0: Yo, this is Pastor Tito here welcoming you to another episode of our Revolutionary Podcast where we are continuing our mini-series inside of the grand series, The End, the study of the book of Revelation, by looking at the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And so today we are focusing on church number two, which is a result, which I believe it's a result of putting first love first. So this is a very important, very interesting very interesting perspective because this church is really special in fact I'm just going to kind of tease this here there are two churches that we should model All right, two churches that I believe out of these seven that you're going to see that God is pretty much saying look guys this is what I want this is what it should look like but this one is going to be difficult because this church kind of is known for something that Jesus says we all should be known for as believers in Christ but it's one it's the one thing that no one wants to kind of really experience and it's persecution, all right? It's difficulties. It's it's not having everybody uh, like you, agree with you, shout you down, or, or hey, may, you know, maybe it might cost you something to be a follower of Christ. But listen, Jesus, gee, it cost Jesus a lot to redeem us. So we can't get it twisted that we can't think that it's not going to cost us something to follow him. So with that, let's go right into church number two, which is the church of Sardis and see what the result is when we put first love first we are in a series right now that we began on the book of revelation and this is obviously an interesting and intriguing book even if you have never excuse me even if you have never uh, heard or little about the bible that's probably a book you heard of or heard about but let me tell you like the 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 thing i want to remind all of us is that this is more than just The book of Revelation is more than just understanding our present experience to predict the future. That's not it. All right? It's more than that. In fact, this is called the Revelation of? Everybody who's been watching online, type it. Everybody here, what is this the Revelation of? Jesus, I heard it. All right, there it is. I heard it. This is a Revelation of Jesus. This book, like the whole Bible, points us to Christ. And in it, we get a greater understanding of who Jesus is. And I'm, I'm really, I'm loving this. this is the first time I've really done a deep dive and shared a message online in this way. And what I'm loving about the, the part of that we're at right now, because we are in the seven letters written to the seven churches. So just so you know, the book of Revelation was written by, inspired by the Holy Spirit, seen as he had an encounter with the living Jesus. And he wrote this book to seven churches, seven existing historical churches that were in Asia Minor over during that time that the Apostle John actually got to oversee. And these seven churches, well, this book was given to all seven of them. But inside of this book, it starts with seven specific letters to each one of these churches. And so Jesus has something specific to say to all seven of them. But Jesus wanted to make sure that all other six got the same letter that the seven got. All right, it's like anything else. If you're a parent, you know, right? When you got to reprimand one kid and you're telling them they did something wrong, they messed up, and they got a sibling, you're like, listen, you better pay attention just in case uh, you don't do the same mistake, right? So that's kind of the situation that we see here. Jesus is talking to specific churches and he wants the others to understand what he's saying so they don't replicate the same mistake. And these seven churches, I didn't say this last week, but theologians believe that these seven churches, represent seven ages of the church you can actually look and i'm going to show you by the time we get to the seventh one you'll see we are you can divide for the last two thousand years which we call church history which is from the beginning after jesus rose from the dead you can see that each church represents an overall theme of a time. So the second letter that we're going to read today actually represents the time between the 2nd and 4th century. Leading right up to the time that Christianity was adopted by the Roman Empire. This is right before that. Up until this point, this, especially this 200-year gap was considered just a bloodbath. It was a very difficult time for the young early church that had only been around for about maybe 100 years or so at this point. And so not only do all seven of these churches represent the seven ages, which by the way, don't you know, do you guys want to know which age we live in today? You're going to have to wait till the seventh church to find out. But anyways, not only do they represent the seven ages, but they also represent the seven types of churches that exist in every age. So this is awesome because, yo, if you're a Christian and you look, you're going to find yourself Probably a, a one or a two, or you know, not, not like an enneagram. I don't know if any, anybody's done one of those enneagram stuff. I've never done one. I don't, I don't think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but whatever. You're gonna be able to find yourself in one of these seven churches at some point, or maybe a combo of them. But this one is a really, really interesting one. Week one, we talked about the first church, the message that we got out of the first letter for us today was how do we follow Jesus? How do we follow him? Through first love and putting that first. I'm not going to repeat that so you can look at that one next week. That's what the beauty of YouTube is. You can just kind of check that one out later. This church is that. this church in the letter that we're talking about today is not how do we follow Jesus? Today we're answering the question, why is it difficult sometimes to follow Jesus? Why is it hard now, if you're watching online, hey, yo, if you're a Christian watching online, everybody here, right, you know that it is not easy to follow Jesus. You could have figured that out after the first, what, like maybe five minutes so for some of y'all. Maybe for others, it was maybe took you a week, right, or so at some point. Am I lying? Yes or no. If you're a believer in Christ, right, head nod, it's not easy to be a Christian, period, right? Some of y'all say, yo, it's not easy to be anything. I get it, but hey, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's not. And there's things that, look, I, all right, there's things in here that aren't easy to understand, I'll admit, I'll be real with you that as a pastor, there's just things in here that I still don't get. I, I haven't gone there yet, and I'm not ignoring it. I just know i got to pick my battles. Some of it takes a little bit more time, and I'm not, I am not—I don't feel comfortable sharing anything that I don't feel yet kind of, you know, grab a hold of. So, But listen, sometimes there's things that are hard to understand. There's things that are hard to apply, right? Being a Christian perf- is not easy, right? But why then do we do it, knowing that it's not easy? Well, I, let me at least say this, tell me how many times you and I have ever signed up to do something knowing that it wasn't easy, yet we did it anyways, All right? Some of y'all, y- y- some of you guys have chosen career paths knowing that they're competitive career paths. You did it anyways, knowing that it was going to be difficult, knowing that you had to do extended schooling. It was going to be hard, but you did it anyways, All right? How many times, look, when you, those of you that work out, me too, I like that, right? You, you work out. Think about that. You are willingly put you are inviting suffering into your life on purpose right whether if it's sore muscles or you know replacing right the certain fatty foods and deliciousness with others that have you know no no gluten right no no this no that no it, usually it's you know you know no gluten no this no no taste sometimes it's just this bland like some of that this is weird but We willingly do those things. Why? Because of the benefit. I mean, think of getting married, all right? Getting married. Do people want to get married because it's easy? All the married couples went, "Mm." (laughs) like, no. It ain't easy. Being married isn't easy, right? But you sign up to do it, right? It's not easy because you got two very independent people and sometimes opinionated people. And the whole, really, marriage is just learning how to just kind of pick your battles and trying to be unindependent. That's not easy, Parent, uh, you know, ladies, right, having a, having a baby. Why do, well, mom, why do those, you know, you want to have a kid. You don't sign up because it's easy, right. You, you don't want to be a parent because it's easy. Despite the fact that it's hard, we still do it, right. Despite the fact that we know there are certain things that are hard, impossible to do. Maybe, well, maybe not impossible, but we think they are. We sign up for it anyways. Why? Because we believe that the reward is greater than whatever risk or whatever thing we're going to face. Yes or no. We do it because we believe that the benefits are better than anything we have to go through. All right, even JFK said the same thing, right? That's a quote that he said when he was talking about going to the moon. He said, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things. That's my favorite part of the quote. And it was like like doing the impossible, putting a, you know, somebody on the moon for the first time wasn't easy enough. i was like, yeah, we're going to do some other stuff too. I'm like, whoa. And what did he say? We do it not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Like some of the things that we do, we do it because we know that, man, yes, it might be difficult. Yes, it might be challenging. But those hard things, what do they do? They inspire and force you to kind of, it draws out the best out of you sometimes, right? Like we, we like to, let's be honest, we like to rise to the challenge. There's something that is satisfying when it comes to us working hard and achieving something. But think about this, and I'm going to just leave it here before we open up the Bible. How many times have we ever signed up to do something difficult? not having a guarantee that we would achieve that dream. Not knowing that if I, you know what, what I need is I need this, and if I, if I get it, I'll be happy. Sometimes it's not, right? We sign up to do difficult things without even the guarantee of it actually being what we thought it was worth all of this effort for. Well, being a Christian is a little different because, see, for us, we choose, to, those of us that are Christians and Jesus followers, we choose to follow Jesus not because it's easy and despite the fact that it is hard. Despite that, whether in our culture, whether, you know, people might not be accepting or whatever, or even knowing the spiritual dynamic of it that we believe in and the existence of the devil and demons that either want to steal, kill, and destroy. So I know some, I, know I guarantee you there's going to be somebody watching now watching the replay that's not a believer in Christ. I'm like... I don't know if I want to do this then. What, what is this? So like, this, this sounds not inspiring. I, yeah, I know I'm not doing a good job selling it, but that's the point. It's okay. See, those, and actually that makes, should make you lean in and see then why. Why did these believers, why did the apostles, why did all of these people, even in the Old Testament, but even in the New, why did they choose to follow Jesus knowing it was hard, knowing it's difficult, despite the fact that, I mean, the things that they had to go through, Why? Listen, they weren't, it wasn't because they were crazy, which some people might think that. Oh, these guys were crazy, but it's not. They saw something crazy. They saw their Messiah murdered and three buried and three days later rose from the dead. I'm sorry, that'll change your perspective and your attitude in your life if you saw that happen to somebody physically, right? They saw something crazy and they lived in this way despite the fact of whatever they had to face. And see, that's the thing with us today, guys, is that when it comes to following Jesus, yeah, you know what? My, you know, it's not easy, but that's not why we choose to do it. Let me, I can only speak for myself in this case, but I know I'm not the only one. I chosen to follow Jesus because I still can't believe that Jesus chose me first. The fact that he chose to die for my sin, to give me the choice. Jesus literally made it possible to give me the choice to choose him. And so I choose him because of what he did. But also I've encountered the more I have followed Jesus, and I know I'm not the only one online and anybody here. I know I'm not the only one. It's like following Jesus, the reward is greater than whatever risk that comes with it. The the present reward and future reward. It is better than any risk that we may face. And I, I love you too much not to tell you those risks do exist. Sometimes I know it's so so easy to want to focus on, you know, following Jesus and all the blessings and all the things that come with it, which is great. But I love you too much as your pastor not to tell you, hey, there's the the other side of the coin that you got to be willing to, number one, expect and to help you process and that's what, I, that's what I love about the second letter that we're going to read to the church, which is written to the church of, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Smyrna. So let's check it out. Let's put it on the screen for everybody who doesn't have their Bible. This is Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at 8 and 11. We're going to read it straight through. So here we go. Write to the angel, or in this case it's the, the, the pastor, the leader of the church, the messenger. Write to the angel of the church of, all right, Smyrna, thus says the first And the last, pay attention to this description of Jesus, the one who was dead and came to life. This is Jesus talking, by the way. All right, here's what he says. I know your afflictions and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say you are, that they are Jews, but they are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to, notice, plural churches, not only those seven churches, but us today. Anybody, this is the individual call. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Now the second death is actually something that comes up later on in Revelation, so I'm going to leave that one for now. But that's an interesting letter there, right? I mean, to me the most obvious one is is when I see when Jesus is telling them, Hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. The devil's going to come after you. Here's what's going to happen. I'm like, Jesus, if you know what's going to happen, well, how are you going to let it? How are you going to let that happen? Like that's just kind of one of the obvious things. Like, well, can you do something about that? Like, um. Why? I don't know. Like, what's going on here? But this is an interesting letter. And I want to just bring this one thing up here. See, out of the seven letters, there's a pattern. Every single letter has a pattern. There's an introduction. There's a challenge to a commission to the leader. And then there's an introduction of who Jesus is, like a picture that actually connects to what that church is dealing with. Then Jesus says things that he loves about that church. Then he brings up some things that they need to work on. And then he challenges them and gives them a promise. Now, out of the seven churches, only two, Jesus had nothing negative to say. Out of the seven were two. This one was one. The last church, right, hey, everything was great. But, yo, you got one thing, though, you've abandoned first love. This church, did you notice Jesus had nothing negative to say? That's kind of like, I ain't going to lie, I kind of want to be in that category, right? I know I'm not perfect, and neither were they, but it'd be nice to know that Jesus would be like, yo, you good, bro, keep it up, keep it up, guy. keep it up, all right? I I kind of want to be in that category, so I might be a prayer that we can pray together like that. But listen, this church, though, as much as Jesus had nothing bad to say, this church was experiencing some bad things, yes or no, you see that, right? This church was under pressure, experiencing pressure, poverty, and persecution, now, the first one, if you notice, they were experiencing slander, right? People were talking negative about them. And who were they? Apparently, Jesus said they were Jews who weren't really Jews, but they were of the synagogue of Satan. This sounds very familiar to a conversation Jesus had in the Gospels. Because, see, these Christians were experiencing a lot of pressure from the Jewish temple. See, the the Jews during that time, they believed and they were coming against the Christianity because they were saying, hey, you guys are corrupting the Old Testament scriptures, our scriptures. And not only that, not only were were they Jews who became Christians, who were, you know, talking about the Old Testament and pointing out Jesus and here and Jesus and Jesus and Jesus, but then it spread throughout non-Jewish people. So here you have now non-Jews you know, I guess if this would have been 2020, this would have been the Jewish people maybe claiming these non-Jews are culturally appropriating the God, you know, culturally appropriating the Old Testament. Because that's kind of what was happening. They weren't liking that, you know, and understanding. I get it. You know, that they were saying, no, you guys, this is, you, you're corrupting our faith. You're corrupting our culture. And so the Jews were adamant. I mean, they put a lot of pressure and, and ridiculing them. And Jesus saying, listen, no, don't, don't listen to them. See, the thing is that Jesus had a conversation very similar to this in the Gospels where there was Jews who were saying, listen, hey, we are of our father is Abraham and we've never been a slave. And Jesus says, no, 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 your father ain't Abraham, even though you were Jews, your father is the devil. And they're like, excuse me. And I'm like, "What was going on? I mean, Jesus kind of went at them because they're saying, listen, because they were they believed the Jews believed, which, listen, I'm going to say this. I got to stop. Even though this kind of sounds a little negative. The Jews, uh, you know, for Christians, right, the Jewish people have a special heart in the heart of Christians and in my heart. I mean, as Christians, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Like, we believe and we do not stand against the Jewish people because we believe that God's will and purpose is not done with Israel and with the Jewish people. So I just want to stop and say that because, I, you know, before I come off a little negative there because I'm not. I'm trying not to. But Jesus is telling these Jews, trying to get them to understand Listen, you guys think that you're going to be saved. Jesus was talking to them earlier. You're going to be, you think you're going to be saved because you're a Jew. Just because you were born as a Jew, you're saved. No, if you want to be saved, you need to be born again, right? Listen, being saved has nothing to do with Jewishness, has everything to do with Jesus. Now, the Jewishness is important, It speaks to our lives still, and we can learn a lot from it, but that's the point that Jesus was trying to say, listen, now, your father is the devil because you believe that salvation is by good works and that salvation, you can earn it and achieve it. And you have believed the lie. Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're saved. Doesn't like anybody else. It's putting our trust and confidence in Christ. So I believe that's what Jesus is pointing to here, that there are Jews here who are saying, listen, you guys are wrong. But he's trying to say, no, no, look, look, they're the ones that are wrong. Don't listen to them. Those slanders, those lies. They're coming from the devil himself, but see, it wasn't. If it was just the Jews, that's one thing, but see, the Christians during the second and fourth century, all the way from 100 to 400, 300 AD, they were experiencing pressure from Rome, the Roman government, because they didn't like this upstart Christian faith that was spreading like wildfire. They didn't like this. I mean, the, the Romans understandably thought the Christians were weird. Now I'm like, hold on. There's a group out here, and this thing is going all throughout the Roman Empire, and apparently they don't worship Caesar as God, and they eat and drink the flesh of their Messiah every single weekend. What is that? All right, this is weird. We, we, these crazies. we got to get rid of these crazies. So the Romans didn't like the Jews. I'm sorry, the Romans didn't like the Christians. And so they would persecute them. And during this time, especially when the time of where John is speaking around 90 AD all the way through, I mean, The things that some of these Roman emperors did to Christians just for being a Christian was just, I mean, horrendous. And here's the thing about this is that we noticed that you guys noticed that they were poor, that this church was poor, right? He says, I know your poverty. Do you guys know that in Rome to have a job, you had to be a part of a guild? Kind of like think of like a modern day union. Like for you to have a job, you have to be a part of a guild. And that's how you get your job and your money. And you're this. Well, in some places, and especially in this case, apparently in Smyrna. If you were a Christian, they excluded you from the Roman guilds, meaning you could not uh, have a job. You could not earn money. You could not spend money. You were prohibited from interactions, financial transactions. That's why this church was poor. But notice that Jesus said, you might be poor financially, but you're rich spiritually. Like, you have more. What you have and you, what you possess as a church is more than anything that this world can offer. And that still speaks true of today, yes or no. That speaks of today. No matter that, the world has nothing that, that can compare to the richness and the glory of being known by our God and having the grace of God in our lives. But this church was paying for it. This church was paying for it. You guys know also Smyrna was also one of the capitals of governmental worship. They had a lot of temples there for the Caesars. Smyrna was one of those places that they exalted Caesar as God, and you had to look to and admonish and worship government as God. This church refused to do that. This church refused to do that. And listen, I believe that this Smyrna church is what a first love church looks like. Ephesus, what was their issue? They didn't put first love first, right? I believe that this church had first love first because Jesus didn't say it. This is, I want to warn you, this is the result of putting first love first. There's a consequence that comes with it. You know, when you put first love first, the world's going to hate that. There's, there's, there's demons in there that don't like that. They don't like first love first. They don't. And so there's that element to it. But I also believe that this church is going to be the example of the end times church the church at the very end, even though when we look at the seventh church, there's going to be one category, one description of the church as a whole during the final end of the world. But at the same time, we know that there's a small remnant of Christians, a sub that are the true church in the last days. And what does Revelation say? Those who don't take the mark of the beast will be prohibited from buying and selling interacting financial transactions I'm not going to go there with COVID. That's not it. All right, don't, don't, let's leave that for another day. All right, but I was talking about if you don't take the mark of the beast, and the mark of the beast had everything to do with worshiping the Antichrist, worshiping the beast, which was at the head of the government. So it's it's noted, those who at some point, at some point, you we will be asked to look to those in government, especially the Antichrist and the beast, as God himself. It's not just compliance. It's no, it is worship. And that's what the mark of the beast is all about. We're going to talk about that later. But and those who don't are going to suffer for it. I believe that this Smyrna church is what the end times church is going to look like. And so here's kind of like the, 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 the big idea with all of this. What are we trying to see when this church and for us? Well, you can tell that there is a cost to following Christ. Yes or no? There is a cost to following Christ. And Jesus is telling them, Look, this is the cost. You know, the devil's is going to throw some of you in jail for 10 days. By the way, that was a Greek phrase that meant for a short period of time. For a short period of time. Even though us in this life, we will. There is a cost to following Christ. We will have to suffer. We just can't expect. And this was in Job and throughout the Gospels, throughout the Bible. It says, must we expect only the blessings of God and not, something, and not the negatives? Jesus himself said, hey, they don't, they, not everybody loved me. They treated me a kind of way. Expect the same level of treatment. Not everybody's going to love you. You can speak the truth and love, but there's going to be people who aren't going to love you back. There's people who aren't going to love the truth that you speak. That's the cost that comes with it. But he says, listen, that suffering, understand that the cost, the suffering is temporary. The 10 days, it's a small amount. I mean, think about it this way, guys. Any suffering that we experience in this earth is nothing but a grain of sand on the beach of eternity that's it. It's nothing compared to the grand scope of eternity. Jesus is saying, you guys are going to experience this. So what does he tell him to do? Him to man up, you know, pretty much. But he says, look, hey, be faithful, not fearful. Be faithful, not fearful. And I love the image that we see of Jesus. Remember I told you that the introduction of Jesus at the beginning of every letter connects to It connects to what the church is dealing with. And what was the introduction? Jesus says, hey, I'm the alpha, the omega. I'm the beginning and the end, the ultimate authority. But then he says, I'm the one who was dead, yet now I'm alive again. And he's telling this church, y'all going to die. You guys are going to die. But if those who do, you will experience and you will receive the crown of life. And I love the image of Jesus. Because look, have you ever been in a situation, maybe you're uh, financial or emotional, or there's been a negative, I don't know anything maybe your marriage is a relational thing or something have you ever been in a, a problem having a situation and somebody goes to you and says hey yeah I've been there I know what that's like I've gone through that yeah me and my you know our, our marriage was difficult but, but you know we bounced back maybe it was financial and you, you know we made it through have you ever had a conversation with somebody like that right you were having a negative and they're encouraging you because they've been on the other side right they've made it through the other side and so that's inspiring because it lets you know all right look i i have hope if he if she got through this then there's hope that i can too and here's jesus telling this church is about to die saying yeah i'm the one who was dead but yeah look at me though i ain't dead i'm alive jesus saying yeah death been there done that came back i got the t-shirt all right that's jesus i've been there done that i got the t-shirt and so he's telling and that speaks you know so much to them to say hey be faithful i've made it through you this you have nothing to you don't even have to fear death itself because i've conquered sin and death through my through the resurrection he's conquered sin and death and so for us though we might i ain't gonna lie I'm not scared to die. I like Billy Graham's description. I'm not scared to die. I'm scared of how I might die. That's different. Okay. Like that's, that's different. Yeah, that's okay. Like, no, Jesus, not like this. All right. I was like, I I might be afraid of how I might die, but I'm not afraid to die, especially for him because he is one who faced death itself. Yeah. He's still around. And that's something for us to, we need to understand that coming, when it comes to following Jesus, there is a cost to following Christ. Yet, and because of that, we need to remember to be faithful to this faithful God. Not fearful of death. Not fearful of man. Not fearful of those who are just going to talk, right? The slander ones. We shouldn't pay attention. Not just, you know, not being ignorant or not being dismissive disrespectfully like that. No. But we don't need to fear what others may say. And even like Rome, we don't even have to fear what others may do. For some of us, being a Christian can cost you. Here in America, what, it might cost you your job, right? There's people that have that. They, they tweet the wrong Bible thing that's against counterculture, that's, counter that's against groupthink, and then they're fired for it. Or they're withhold, withheld uh, employment. Maybe it's relatives. You don't think the same way. Well, hey, well then here's, this, is what we, this is what we end right here. Maybe it, co- it could cost you a relationship. It can cost you your job, right? It can cost you your reputation maybe. You, get, you say the wrong, you know, I, I, I liked, I liked, apparently for Twitter, I liked the wrong tweet and just got roasted for, you know, just because of that. So whatever, you know, there's a cost of following, but on the other, but in other places, it's different. The cost is not just your job. Do you know that there are more Christians today over the last, let's say, 100, 200 years that have died for the sake of Christ? More Christians have died over the last 100, 200 years than in the previous 1,800 years combined, some say. It's a lot. In other places, it can cost you your life to follow Jesus. Yet how? What are some of these crazy Christians who are just dying for this weird guy who said he died on a cross because that dude came back? All right, something crazy happened. And in him, we have not just the feels. In Jesus, we don't got the feels, all right? In Jesus, we got life. We got life that we can't find anywhere else. And here's the... Really, the, 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 kind of like the application, but when it comes to being faithful or fearful, we remember this. Yes, there is a cost to following Christ. But tell me, the cost is worth the price. The cost is worth the price. Yes, there is a cost to following Christ. Jesus paid for the ultimate cost so that we can be found in him. Yet there is a cost that we must take. There is a cost, but gee, for when it comes to Jesus, He the cost is worth the price. The cost of following Christ is worth the price. It's a, it's a trade-off. Look, have you ever bought anything? Yes, you have. Pro- process this. Or even go back to school. All right, who who remembers? Anybody ever traded food when you were in school? You ever did that? Anybody online? You ever traded something, right? Everybody here, you, you ever traded food with some kid in elementary? Yo, hey, I, you know, I got some Doritos. Yo, can I get them or You know, a pack of Oreos, right? You know, say like, you want to trade. You know, I got a peanut butter and jelly. You want to switch it for that turkey, right? You ever traded with somebody at school? I know, I, you know, I've done that. I was actually trying to think about that. How would that happen now, mid post COVID, right? You know, are people going to trade in lunch anymore? Are they going to do things like that? I'm like, hey, I got that bag of cookies. Like, all right, you got some wipes though. We got to, you know, we got to clean it up before we, you know thing you know materials exchange hands I don't know if that's even going to work anymore but why are you willing to get rid of something that you might like for something else you get rid of something that you might like because what you're going to get in return is better yes or no if not you wouldn't trade it you would not trade away something unless you thought what you're going to get back is worth more or worth better do you guys know that that's how money works do you know that's how we spend money we are not willing, some of us, all right, the cheap ones, anybody, who, who, who are the cheap ones in the house? All right, who are the cheap ones? I got a few online, who are the cheap ones? Say, hey, yep, I'm cheap, ain't ashamed. All right, some, we got some cheap people, right? And what's the cheap people do, right? I'm like, bro, $5 for that? No, 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 no. $5 for that? Nah, I ain't going to do it. Why? Because you believe that the product or the service is worth less than your $5. You're not getting a fair deal. Does that make sense? The, hey, hey, who are my, who are my spenders? Anybody? Who are the spenders? Who you got like eight things in your Amazon cart right now, right? And just waiting there, right? We talked about that earlier. That's me. I got some stuff in there. I'm the spender. Listen, we only spend money on something that we believe. Oh, yo, that's a deal, right? That's a deal because I believe that what I am spending this, whatever it is, $10, $100, what I'm going to get in return, the product and service I'm going to get in return is worth more than the money I'm spending. Does that make sense? Because if not, you wouldn't do it. If I'm spending, if I'm going to pay for $10 worth of something, is I believe I'm going to get more than $10 worth of a product or service. That's why we make those exchanges. Because we believe that what we're going to get is better than what we're giving. Well, listen, when it comes to following Christ, the cost is worth the price. Whatever we have to give cannot compare to what we have gained in Christ Jesus. Yes or no? Yes or no? There is nothing in this world, nothing in this world that can compare. And in fact, the more, the longer you live, the longer you follow Jesus, that's when you're going to realize. Because you realize you have been holding on to things too long. I'm like, hey, you know what? It wasn't that bad. Jesus, all right, here you go. But the cost of following Christ is worth the price. It is so much that we gain from Christ is so much better than what we ever have to give. Even if it means we have to suffer for just being a Christian. Do you guys know that when it comes to the Christian faith, it has, it is one of the, you know, let's use this word, all right? It's one of the worldviews that answers the question of suffering better than anything else. Some worldviews, you know, call, call it an illusion. Others, they, you know, they, they describe some benefits or some other reasons for it, but they don't explain everything. But when it comes to God's word, we know that suffering, we know it gives it a reason. Sometimes it can give it a, pr- a purpose, you know, there's suffering in this world because of sin. A lot of suffering can be the result of sin. Yet at the same time, when it comes to following Jesus, not if, just because something's going bad, it doesn't mean that you've done something bad. That's Old Testament think. Literally, it was, if you obey, you'll be blessed. That's Old Testament thinking. Like, and if you were not obeying, that's when something bad would happen. But in the new covenant of Jesus, you can obey and things can go bad. Why? There's a greater reason for it. See, sometimes now, outside of the suffering that is a consequence of sin, which you can write that off as something else, we know what that's. That there's a there's a reason for that, but then there's sometimes experiences that we have to go through, that God, like Jesus was God. Hey, I know the devil's gonna do this. Heads up, I'm gonna allow it to happen. Why? Because God's a jerk. Because he likes to. You know, let's see what they, let's see how they're gonna react today. I'm like, no, no, it's nothing. He doesn't play games like that with us. If he allows a certain level of suffering that is not a consequence of sin, it's for Another reason, maybe, and this is what happens, sometimes God allows certain difficulties to shape our character. It's kind of like a good coach, right, that makes you push that extra mile. He's not being a jerk. He's not, even though it might be hard and difficult, he's doing it because he's trying to draw the best out of you, right? Like a good coach. Sometimes, like God, he will allow something to happen because he's trying to draw the best out of you. He's, He's allowing that pressure to build your character, to mold you, to shape you. Sometimes the difficulties is to help you not to become prideful. Sometimes God will allow something to happen to you. Hey, oh, yeah, he's getting a little prideful. Let's just pop his bubble real quick before he gets too bad. Sometimes he might do that. But God is sovereign in all things. But here's one of the greatest benefits that we have. And, yes, I'm going to say benefits to suffering for the name of Christ. Not only does suffering, does the Christian religion, the Christian faith, and the idea give us, and the Judeo-Christian really, give us a reason behind suffering it can put purpose behind suffering. God can take your tragedy and turn it around into now a testimony where you can help someone else. Y'all feeling me on that, right? You ever heard that? That's really, I've, I've heard a lot say, he could take your mess, turn it into a masterpiece, whatever alliteration you want to use, okay? He can take your tragedy, turn it into a testimony. He can do that. Now, it's not God's will. Uh, let me help you with this. Sometimes you might go through something and you got to be careful because so, maybe God is, is, uh, wants to shape you so you can help somebody else. But at the same time, it's not really good um, I'm going to, you know, I'm, um, God doesn't mean any money. Okay. You, you are going to be a crack addict for about 20 years. That's my will for you. And then your whole relationship, your life's going to be destroyed. You're going to be financially bankrupt, but then I'm going to save you so you can help other crack addicts. That's not God's will for you to do that. That was, you know, just the result of sin. But then see, that's beautiful that God can take our mistakes and turn it around and give it purpose. You see that, that he can do that. That's amazing. And because of this, and here's the beautiful part of when it comes to suffering with Christ, it helps us to identify, to become more like him. It allows us to become more like him, and it allows us to experience him like never before. Do you know how many, I've had a lot of friends who got a cancer diagnosis, or they had something negative happen to them, and they say, I have never been happier. I'm like yo you weird bro you weird you weird how can you not be how can you be happier It's because this darkness this tragedy this difficulty has led me to encounter jesus like never before so sometimes even the most difficult things can help us to see christ and here's the application guys for us so what does this all mean what does this all mean for us well there's listen when it comes to us and suffering and Christians, there is something powerful that I want to help you and I want you to get a handle on this. And here's something that Jesus is trying to say to them, and we see it throughout the Gospels and throughout other places as well. It is God's will for you to do good, okay? It's God's will for you to do good, all right? That you are loved by God and loving others. It is God's will for you to do good, but it is also God's will for you to suffer well. I want you to listen to that. good. It is God's will for you to do good and suffer well. Why? Because that changes the world. When we suffer well, it's one thing for us to do good. I'm like, yo, why are you so generous? Why did you do that? Why did you do those things? Well, let me tell you, it's because of my good God, it's because of what God has done for me. That speaks volumes. But you know what speaks even louder? When Christians learn to suffer well. When something bad happens, they get the, the, the wrong letter from the doctor's office or, or, you know, there's a tragedy in their family or they're having a difficulty here. And when they, in the, literally in the middle of a storm, they have peace in the middle of a storm, that screams That screams so much louder. I'm like, whoa, how? How can you be so happy? How can you have such confidence? How can you have such hope with all of this going around you? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about this God that I have that is greater and above it all and all these things. See that, when we learn to suffer well, it is an amazing testimony for us to point to a Christ who suffered on our behalf. Listen, Jesus suffered for us, not so we can never ever suffer. No, we don't have to suffer for our sins anymore. But see, now in Christ, we can identify with so much. When we suffer well, We do good. We shine our light. When you say, yo, you have gone through so much and you've done this. How can you have a smile on your face when I have, I'm not even experiencing half of what you're experiencing. And I don't even want to live another day. And then let me tell you about this, God. This is how, this is the hope that I have. What gives me the strength and energy just to take another step, to take another breath. It's this name. It's this person. It is this God named Jesus. When we suffer well, we do good. But let me encourage you, and also church, we're also called to do good to those who suffer well. Praying for believers right now across the world. You know that there are still Christians today, I said it, that they're being persecuted, hunted down, killed, and murdered for the gospel. Missionaries that are struggling right now, especially, look, if if we here in America are struggling with COVID and the economy, there's missionaries across the world that are really struggling. Really struggling because they're in the most poorest of poor areas, and then, all the ramifications, the worldwide situation. Not only are we as Christians called to suffer well, but we must do good to those who are suffering well, to pray for them, to be generous if that's what it means, to support them, to lift them up. We are called to do good for those who suffer well because when we do, listen, I'm telling you, this is, I know I'm asking something weird of you, but I'm not. Jesus, Jesus is the one who asked this of us. Jesus says, when you shine your light, others will give glory to your heavenly father. When you shine your light in the way you do good. And one of the greatest ways we can shine our light is when we learn to suffer well. In our suffering, we look to Christ and he withholds us and he he lifts us up and he lifts up our head so we can be lights in the darkness. We change the world when we do that. Because we change people's perspective because that is not how things, that's not how normal people act. You're right, but hey, we follow a God who ain't normal, who's above it all, who's extraordinary. That's who he is. Listen, we change the world when we learn to suffer well, and I'll tell you one story to wrap up. If you've never heard of Corrie Ten Boom, she's a classic man, a great hero of the faith that lived during the time of World War II. She was in, she lived in Poland. And her and her family, like many Christians in that area, they were, they were known for smuggling Jews. Obviously during World War II, this is a time when the Germans were hunting them down in order to take them to, you know, concentration camps and gas chambers. They made it illegal to withhold information or to not cooperate with the government to expose where these Jews were. It was especially illegal to hide them. So in her book, and there's a movie, old movie called The Hiding Place. It's still a good movie. I guarantee you to, I encourage you guys to watch it maybe this weekend. And they have The Hiding Place because it was a place in the house where they would hide the Jews when the Germans would come and, and, and everything. And they loved them. This house and this home, Corey's um, family, was responsible, like many others, for the countless of lives that exist today because they helped them during a difficult time. But you know what? They did a lot of good. But they ended up suffering for that good. Somebody outed them. They were figured out. They found the hiding place and they were, their whole family and many of their family were taken to concentration camps in Poland and in other areas. Corey lost a lot. She lost her sister there. A lot of her relatives, a lot of the family people she knew, they, they died. And Corey made it through. She survived that time. She survived the time, but, but she would tell stories of how she would suffer in these concentration camps. And, and they knew why because she was smuggling the jews and how they would torture her i mean she was in the if there was hell on earth wouldn't i think uh, it would be hard to find another a better place to be described as hell on earth and that was where she was for, for a time she saw her sister die but yet even with all of the suffering in the darkest of places she Corey, shined her her light She shined her light regardless of what the guards did to her. She forgave them and she shined the light. She showed the love of Jesus despite what they did to her. And all the other inmates and all the other people that were there, she spoke and she shared her testimony. She shined her light and others became saved. And then others who lived on have done the same thing. She shined her light. And then one day, here's Corey giving a testimony. Years later after the war was over, Corey's giving a testimony standing on a stage like I am today and she's looking out in the crowd. And as she's telling stories of what God did in her life and what God did in the midst of those dark areas, she looked and she saw someone. She recognized somebody that was in the the crowd. It was one of the guards in the camp that she was at that tortured and abused her. She recognized him in the crowd. The guy walks up to her at the end of the testimony. And that's when she realized she recognized him. She clammed up. As, as he was approaching and that's when she realized as he began to talk oh my gosh he doesn't recognize me she recognized him he doesn't recognize me and she was like miss ten Boom, i just wanted to say that you know your, your story testimony was amazing and i wanted you to know that, that that concentration camp that you mentioned i was a guard there and since that time i found jesus and Jesus, I cannot believe. And then he would just go off. It was like, I can't believe that, that Jesus would forgive me of all of my sins after all of the things that I did, all of the incredible things. I did not deserve to be forgiven. I did not deserve to be loved, yet Jesus still forgave me. And he just would go off just about the love of Jesus how that he had encountered and experienced. He couldn't hold it in any longer, and here she is not knowing how to feel. And Corey go, and he goes to Corey and said, Miss, Miss Tambuma, I, I know you don't know me. <laughs> it's interesting. But I just, want, I just wanted to ask you. I know you were there. He lifts up his hand and says, will you forgive me? And Corey says that those seconds before she answered said it felt like hours. And Corey, she was honest. She says, I didn't want to forgive him. She literally prayed a prayer and she said, Jesus, all I can do, all I can do is lift up my hand. I need you to provide the feelings. I don't want to forgive him. I know I should, but I don't want to. All I can do is lift up my hands. You provide the feelings. So she took a bold step of faith, grabbed that man's hand, and out of her mouth, she said, I forgive you with all of my heart. Brother, I forgive you with all of my heart. And just the flood of love just came through her. And there, she knew this man. This man did not know her. And she was just so shocked and amazing. Guys, listen, right now, this man could not believe what he had done and that Jesus still forgave him. Right now, you can look in the news, and there are things God is exposing so much right now. He's exposing so much of, of us and our lives as things have been taken away. I, I believe that whatever wave that is coming, like a tsunami, like a uh, spiritual tsunami is going to happen. And if you've ever seen a tsunami happen, literally what happens is the wave gets pulled back. And then the the sea is exposed all of the the gook and all the things the the sea land is exposed before the wave comes I i believe that's what's happening as things are just being exposed left and right i mean we are seeing i mean names and celebrities and things being exposed like no tomorrow who are doing despicable things governmental officials doing horrendous things and we look at those things and we might hate those things which we should but we also have a hope and we should pray that those same culprits and those same people who are guilty may come to faith in Christ like this prison Nazi guard did. That they said, well, I did all of this and yet I still found faith in Christ Jesus. That should be our prayer. That should be our prayer. But we saw how Corey she suffered well. She suffered well and there that one guard was touched by the love of Jesus. Church, we need to suffer well. Let me read. I'm going to end. Hebrews 12. I'm going to read this verse quickly to you. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews says this, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, so of believer testimonies of people who went before us in the faith, Whether in the Bible or in real life, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, Consider this why, so that you may not grow weary and give up. May we consider how Christ suffered so we too can remain faithful. I told you last week, if you want to remember first love, remember the cross, right? Remember the cross because the cross is the picture of God's love for us. The cross is a picture of God's love for us. The cross is also a picture of of the hatred that the world has towards God. It's both. It's a picture of the love of God, but it's also a picture of the hatred of the world, the the demonic hatred towards God that applies to all who hold to the cross. Listen, we all have a choice to make. I don't know whether if it's the end or how much you have left, so it's your end. But listen, we can suffer well because we have a good God who suffered on our behalf. And through him, we have life. But it's a choice that we need to make to do good, suffer well, and suffer well for those who do good. And may we live out the lyrics of just a classic hymn that I knew I grew up singing and some of you might have heard. May we live out these lyrics. I want to put them on the screen. Let's say the following. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back online in here stand with me Stand. let's just sing this together and declare it though none go with me I still will follow though none go with me I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Oh, now my cross. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Come on now, one more. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before. before me no turning back no turning back how could we turn our backs on the one who carried our cross on his back and what would we turn our back to what would we return to nothing that this world can offer that can compare to Jesus the cost is worth the price Remember the bottom line for today, guys. All right. We are called to suffer well and do good. Now, remember, we do good if we suffer well. In suffering for the name of Christ, we actually are doing a good deed. We are doing good, not only just for the name of Christ, but for others. Because if not, we rob them of telling them the, the reason and the hope that we have. And so we are called to not just do good, we are called to suffer well and do good and when we suffer well we do an amazing good and note and you understand that suffering well cannot be done in our own strength that's why we need first love that's why we need the love of god to be able to hold us together and encourage us to to just bind us together because it is only through the grace and the love of god that we are able to suffer well because jesus is the one he knows what it's like jesus suffered well and because he did he did a great deed for us he redeemed us and made it possible for us and Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus to be saved. And we are called to follow in the same way. Because if we suffer well, and for the sake and name of Christ in love, then others will ask and others will be wondering who knows what kind of seed that we'll plant and others will receive our savior as well. Guys, that's what it means to be a revolutionary, to suffer well and do good, revolving your entire life around Christ, knowing that whatever cost it may cost you, it's worth it because Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ is worthy. So with that, guys, I want to encourage you to focus on that this week. Don't be afraid to share your faith. Don't be afraid to, uh, talk, you know, share your faith and do good deeds and all these things. All right. Don't be afraid of getting canceled by the culture because you know what? This, this whole culture is, is dying anyways. This whole world is going to pass away anyway. So why care about being canceled by something that will not last? All right. The kingdom of God will, and our Lord, our creator will never cancel you. All right. If you accepted him so I want to encourage you to just keep pursuing Christ keep pursuing first love first and do that this week prioritize seeking God as we will come back next week and start with church number three which is going to be an interesting one because this third church there's going to be a small little thing it's going to be the strategy that the enemy uses to distract you from first love and if we are not aware of it it's going to be a little uh, too little too late and uh, you're going to have a lot of catching up to do so guys we'll see you next week